Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 79 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates, and I'm uh, happy to bring back my friend, Nick Lamb. And I just thought about it. It's like, oh, he's only the, the fourth person to get a repeat appearance on the new format. <clears throat> Uh, and I looked at it, I was like, oh yeah, Jordan Syatt, John Goodman, and Luca Hosevar have each got a couple. So, but uh, I, I, Nick deserved his own episode because he appeared previously with uh, our good friend, Derek Mendoza, his business partner for Raise the Bar. And if you've been listening for any length of time, you've heard me talk about what a great event these guys put on in Orlando, Florida back in February. I can't wait for next year. And Nick is also the uh, owner of the Recovery and Sleep Summit, which is a free online virtual event. I guess that's redundant to say online virtual. Uh, and that's coming up the week, uh, May 12th through 15th. I'm one of the presenters. So we're really excited about that. Uh, you're also the co-founder of Coached Education, which again, you do with Derek. And I'm going to bring him on a future episode because he deserves it too. But uh, it's great to have you back, brother. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for, for having me back on, especially you know, the fact you don't do uh, too many repeat guests. That's a pretty, pretty awesome company to, to be with in terms of the repeat guests. So thank you for having me back. Well, I want people to really zero in on you guys too, and not just your events, but everything you're doing, because I mean, you're kind of blowing up around the industry too. You're also speaking at the Inline Empire Fitness Conference. I'm speaking at that this year. So we get to hang out together there, which I'm excited for. So I think people are going to see more and more of your work. And again, I'm a big believer in supporting friends and, and I, I love getting to have these conversations. And I hope that a lot of people who are listening kind of go, okay, cool, Nick Lamb, let's go follow his social media Let's see what more he's doing. And, you know, they're going to come and meet you at your events and other ones that you're speaking at. So let's talk Raise the Bar, because that was amazing. What were some of the big key takeaways for you from it? Uh, plans for 2023 with the event that you guys have coming up. And I, again, I like to do these run on multiple point questions and let you take them where you want them. Advice for anybody who wants to step into speaking roles in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. So, in terms of raise the bar, you know, Derek and myself have both had the pleasure to, to host a lot of virtual events and really position ourselves pretty well within this event space. And, you know, we, we knew that we were garnering a platform within that and we wanted to pick an event and pick a format that would really use that platform appropriately. And so we picked this theme of raise the bar, which was focused on elevating the standard of the industry. And that sounds you know, maybe a bit cliche. And, but the reality was, you know, we said, Hey, we've both been in the industry a long time and we do really care about the state of the industry. We really do want to see things in the industry improve, you know, and the state of the industry and for those in it. Right. So, you know, what is a theme of a conference or an event that can fit that? And so raise the bar was essentially designed around the idea of having all the topics covered, all the speakers that were there, really around the missing links of the industry, or what we thought were the missing links of the industry, the things that didn't get enough attention in other events, in other education spaces, right? If we look at a good majority of the events in our industry, they're very movement-centric, right? And our point in creating this type of event was not to, you know, poo-poo the movement-centric or say that those events aren't important, the X's and O's of what we do, but there needs to be a balance of how we look at these other skills, communication, collaboration, business and marketing, right? Looking at things from a more human behavioral perspective. And so that was really where Raise the Bar was, was born out of. And we were fortunate to have a really great lineup of, of speakers. And obviously the feedback was phenomenal. It was, uh, it was a massive undertaking. We definitely learned a lot, but we more, more than anything, I think we both walked away really humbled, really excited for next year, really excited to take all those things that we learned and obviously improve on for the, for the future. So you guys had a superstar lineup. In fact, I mean, I think it's the most 
it's it's the biggest lineup that I've ever gone to an event. I mean, shit, John Berardi, Molly Galbraith, Luca Hosovar, Brett Bartholomew, Dan John, Tony Gentilcore, on down. There's a very long list of people, right? Anybody can go and literally look it up online to see who was there. Um, how do you top that next year? Yeah, no, that's a good uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think we were we were fortunate in a lot of ways when we were building out this lineup in terms of timing. And you know, we I think we were one of the first events to kind of pivot to going back to in person. And so, you know, we reached out to speakers very early on in terms of maybe being one of the first things that they put on their calendar. Uh, which was great, but it also allowed us to build more of these relationships for the future. And so, you know, I won't, I won't say that our lineup will be as maybe as comprehensive, just in the sense of not having maybe as many speakers. Um, but what I will say is the speakers that we will have, it'll be very targeted. Uh, they'll have an opportunity to really give the attendees a much deeper dive into these, these missing links and, and these areas. So yeah, I mean, that one was really superstar heavy and it's easy to forget too. I mean, now, just even in a couple of months, for the most part, the world is behaving like it's back to normal. There, there are the people who are holding on desperately clinging to, no, we, we need to, I'm not even going to get into that whole thing, but by and large, people are acting pretty normal. But this was, like, I was worried, you know, in January, shit, am I going to be able to go? Is Canada going to place restrictions on travel to the point? Is this going to be a nightmare? And ultimately... I decided, no, I'm committing to this. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made. And, you know, anyone who's listened to this podcast for a long time was probably tired of me talking about how much value I get out of these trips. Like there, there are a lot of things that have done good things for my career, but going to events like these have been a major catalyst in so many ways. Uh, you know, connections to the, the, all the speaking engagements I have this year literally come from meeting somebody critical at a past event, like in some way, shape or form, like all of them. Um, certainly the writing opportunities that have happened in very large part have come through connections from me meeting people at these events. And I didn't go down to them with that intention. I just went down to them to just be immersed in that environment and like-minded people. And uh, so I always, I mean, we can't go to them all, especially coming in from Edmonton, Alberta, but I really do enjoy them. And I hope that, you know, people listening are inspired to say, okay, let, let's make, uh, raise the bar in 2023, you know, a big priority. Yeah, no, absolutely. I appreciate that. And, you know, going back to your, your question earlier, because this ties in pretty well with it, you know, in terms of if you're somebody that wants to get more speaking engagements or position yourself to, to speak at events, you know, I think probably step one is just to attend more events, right? Be there present for events and really be an active participant in events. So if I, you know, someone like yourself who you didn't just attend Raise the Bar, right? You were an active component of Raise the Bar. You weren't just there, you know, listening to some talks and taking some notes. You were ultimately there to connect. You were there to build relationships. You were there to get to know Derek and myself, to interact with other speakers. And so that should always be the mentality when you're attending these events is really to reap those relationships and, and networking as, as much as you possibly can. But I think the other really, really key strategy that's going to sound overly simple and overly obvious and maybe is not the one that people want to hear is really just being willing to put yourself out there. So not this current event, uh, but for a previous event, one of the things I put out to my email list, which is, you know, in the, in the thousands and thousands was the opportunity to apply to be a speaker at an event, right? So to, to basically put, put your material out there, put your content out there. Um, and the, we had such a small percentage of coaches that actually applied. Um, and it was really surprising, right? And I think that just comes back to whether it's a level of imposter syndrome or 
whatever it might be, right? Whatever that fear or whatever it might be that's holding people back, there is a level of just being willing to put yourself out there. And obviously you have to be sure on your content and who you are and your branding has to be in line and there has to be some level of career capital that you're building coinciding with that. Don't get me wrong. All those things are important and we can talk about those things as well. But so much of any level of success that I've been fortunate to have in different areas of the industry has just come from being willing to make a contact, right? Put yourself out there, right? Uh, I always share the story of really when, when I got into the sleep space, the sleep education space, so much of it came from my willingness to reach out to Joel Jamieson. He was hosting a, an event for everybody that was a part of his course out at Vigor Ground in Seattle. I was going to be attending the event anyway. I had been doing sleep coaching and work within the sleep industry for a while, reached out to him and just sent an email and said, hey, man, it would be great if I could speak to the attendees that'll be there on sleep, whether it's 45 minute talk, hour talk. You know, I was fortunate that he was receptive to it, said, hey, let's do it and got a ton of feedback, had people coming up to me all weekend. And that really gave me the push and the drive to create the course that I have now. Right. So, so much comes from just being willing to, to take those shots. And I know that, again, seems overly simple and overly obvious and maybe one of those other things that's cliche, but there's so much value in just being willing to put yourself out there. And you're right. I, I approach it with almost a slightly different philosophy because I was really slow on the trigger. You would have invited me to speak at uh, online the recovery and, and sleep summit last year. And I was really slow to respond. And ultimately it's because I just didn't feel like I was ready to jump into that space, which sounds crazy because just considering the, the sheer volume of speaking engagements I have this year, but it took my friend, Tim Arndt to ask me to speak at Inland last year, to which at first I was like, Hey man, you know, go and get this person or get this person. He's like, no, nope, I want you to do it. I said, okay, cool. So I put a lot of work into it, loved it. And now I'm like, nah, that's it, game on. Um, and so now whatever opportunities arise, I'm just kind of embracing it because I'm in that mode this year to say, this is going to be a major, you know, major thing for your career. But I think you're right. If people want to accelerate that process and not rest, you know, and, and wait for it to come to you, then you have to be proactive about it. And you hit on something I'm big on, career capital. It will help you gain the credibility to be able to speak at these events if you have established a whole bunch of things in your career, whether it's you know having written for a number of publications, develop some renown in podcasting, YouTube space, you know, you're an established owner of a physical facility, you've built a big online brand company. Look at a lot of the speakers at your event, like John Berardi, Molly Galbraith, Precision Nutrition and Girls Gone Strong. They're two of the bigger entities in the fitness space. Uh, you get people like you know Mike Isertel and Nick Shaw with Renaissance Periodization. And there's a long list of these type of very successful and noteworthy businesses. And not all of them are physical facilities like Luca's Vigor Ground, right? Luke, Vigor Ground is base camp, is ground zero for Luca and everything that he's built out. But he's built a lot of other things out from it. So if you look at the people who you look up to, respect, you've learned from in the industry, and you kind of go, all right, what have these people done? And what have they done to develop their reputations? That's a good clue for the path that might work for you to follow. Yeah, no, absolutely. Diversifying your, your portfolio a little bit. And there's, you know, there's multiple ways to look at this. And, you know, you can look at it as really diving into the things that you're really comfortable with and the things that you already feel are your strengths. And I think that's doubling down on those things. And I think that's really important, right? So if you enjoy being on podcasts and you feel your message comes out better that way, 
Absolutely. Double down on that. But there's also a level of you really have to diversify your portfolio a little bit and get comfortable in other areas. Like, for example, one of the things I know you and I have talked about is I'm currently in the midst of writing a book. Right. And every iteration of what I've done within the sleep education space has been spoken. I my course is in its entirety is spoken. I get on podcasts like this and speak. I do speaking engagements and speak. So for me to put my message down, especially for that length into a book is incredibly challenging, right? But it's just embracing that challenge and working on those skills, right? It's easy to say, well, I'm no good at writing. And the reason for that is that I haven't wrote enough, right? So it's it's also finding the balance of definitely doubling down on the things that you are comfortable with and getting your message out, but also willing to be developed, willing, be, being willing to develop yourself in those other areas. And a book's a big deal. That sets you apart. A lot of the speakers at Raise the Bar have written books. John Berardi's got, uh, got a book, Changemaker. He, uh, Brett Bartholomew has Conscious Coaching. Nick Winkleman has A Language of Coaching. I love that book. Um, Luca's working on a book as we speak. Lee Boyce was one of the presenters. He's got a book about to be published with uh, my friend Melody Schoenfeld. Bala Galbraith has her book. The, the list of people in that event. I think more of the speakers, probably Kevin Carr. Uh, yep. More of them, I think, have books than don't. And again, it's a big undertaking, big, big, big deal. But yet, if it's something that you're passionate about, the fact that you're putting one together is going to put you at another level within the industry. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the that's the hope. And there's, you know, there's different strategies and, and ways to do it. I'm, I'm transcribing a lot more, you know, because again, spoken word is the way I'm really comfortable with it. So I'm transcribing a lot of my thoughts and then, you know, going through and editing it. So it's just you know, maybe now five, six chapters in really figuring out what my best way and my best process is. So cool. There's a, there's a whole lot there in that discussion. So I hope people take something from it. I mean, this is big picture career stuff in, in its essence. So what, and, and again, I talked with you guys a little bit about the last time, but I want to kind of come back to this stuff. What made you and Derek, and, and particularly from your point of view, uh, want to shift heavily into education, coaching of coaches, um, that end of things? Yeah, I think it came from from a few different areas. So if I look back, you know, in a lot of my coaching career, I, I spent the majority of my career working in the rehabilitative setting um, and, you know, PT integrated clinics where we had a lot of different practitioners under under the same roof. Um, and where I always found more passion was in the education space for other, other coaches. So this was something that for me, you know, was kind of rooted right from the beginning where anytime I had an opportunity to either run an internship group or we'd, we'd bring on a new hire, that was something that always lit my fire so much, right? The ability to, to give back. And then, you know, from a maybe cliche perspective, you know, and we all know this, right? There's only so many individuals that you can coach, right? So if I take what I'm doing in the sleep space, you know, for a while, I was doing a lot of general population sleep coaching. I was doing a lot with the athletic population consulting. And you eventually get to a point where you obviously want to get more of this message out. You obviously want to have more of an impact, but there's only so many individuals you can actually coach. And there's so many individuals that you can actually work with. Right. And so there comes a point where if you're thinking bigger picture and you're thinking impact and you're thinking scalability, you want this trickle down effect of, OK, if I create this course, and I educate hundreds of coaches, and then they go and coach these individuals on sleep, right? That's that's where I can ultimately have an impact. And in a lot of ways, it's where I can build a business that is sustainable for, for the long term. And I think, you know, that's obviously something a lot of coaches and a lot of trainers struggle with. I know I was at that point. Derek was at that point. It's something 
you know, we talked a lot about when we were building Raise the Bar is, you know, what got us to that point of whether it was burnout or just maybe feeling like, can we do this long term, right? If we look five years into the future, are we still going to be in the industry, right? And I think the education space, albeit maybe difficult to break into, is a lot more forgiving in that in that way, right? There's a lot of, lot of other ways that you can ultimately build sustainability and longevity in the industry. I'll dial it in with this kind of analogy. I think every single one of us has worked in a gym. Do you look over and see another trainer that's unprofessional, unqualified? And I don't like beating the drum of, oh, all these like unqualified trainers. I don't like that. I like being positive. I like, you know, supporting and attracting well-intentioned people so that way we can make them better. But we know that that stuff exists. And we've all had that frustration of thinking about, wow, that client's not getting a great experience. And on one hand, we can only control what's directly in front of us with the client. But like you said, if we want to make a grander impact and mentor or be a role model or a direct educator of other coaches, then, I mean, again, the coaches that don't want to hear it will never hear our message. They're never going to change. But the people who do self-select to it, Mm -hmm. we can influence And if that cascades into, and even if there's no direct financial reward for me, if I know that more people are safe and having a really engaged experience with their trainer and enjoy fitness and want to stay in fitness, and it's actually having a positive effect. And if we have hundreds of thousands of coaches who are taking the same attitude and that's scaling and magnifying across the industry, well, we make the industry better. And that benefits us all because our industry's reputation improves. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the, that's the name of the game. Right. And there's, there's a level of, you know, when you talked about the the mentality of looking at these other coaches and trainers and not necessarily even looking down on down on them, right. Maybe it's just the experience that they've had, who they've had the pleasure of being around or displeasure of being around. Maybe they just haven't had the right influence. So there's, there's a, a level of your mentality and being patient with these coaches and with these trainers as well. Right. You have to look at it very similar to the relationship you've had to build with clients over time, right? Where the evolution of every new coach or every trainer coming into the industry, at first, everything is the client's problem. They don't do what I tell them. They don't do this. They don't do that, right? They're difficult. They're, they have these problems, whatever it is. And you, you learn to realize you have to take more of that onus and responsibility on yourself. And it's very similar in the education space, right? So especially, you know, and Derek and I have actually talked a lot about this education on these missing links that, the reality is a lot of coaches don't necessarily gravitate towards, right? Especially those that are, you know, again, haven't been exposed to a lot in their career, haven't got the right influence. That's not the type of education that they're going to gravitate towards. So it's a very uphill battle for us to, you know, market that type of content and that type of information when it's not as sexy and it's not as interesting maybe to, to coaches. It's not, it's not what they gravitate towards. They will gravitate towards the things that, maybe they're more comfortable with, or they like themselves, not necessarily what's going to improve their development and make them better coaches. Nothing to add there. (laughs) So what do you got uh, in store now for both the recovery and sleep summit for everybody, which is coming up and uh, anything you want to say about what you'll be doing at the inline empire fitness conference too. So again, this one's going to be really centered around the experience of speaking and these events. Yeah, absolutely. So the Recovery and Sleep Summit, like you said, we got coming up here in, in a few weeks. It's a completely free event. You know, I, I continue to host this event and have it be free for a lot of reasons. One, I truly enjoy 
the, the wide net that it casts and the ability to have so many people represented in so many different countries from so many different backgrounds and really the ability to kind of give back in the industry and the work that goes into the, you know, this type of event is essentially a marketing expense, right? Instead, instead of me pouring a bunch of money into paid advertising, hosting a free event of this format is essentially a marketing expense for, for me in a lot of ways. And the theme, we, we just talked about this before we, before we got on to record, the theme started off as just recovery and sleep. And I think year one back in 2020, we stuck pretty true to that, where I really sought out topics that fit under that umbrella of sleep and recovery. Last year really took on a life of its own where we had 70 speakers. We had topics covered everything from financial literacy to myofunctional therapy to behavioral psychology to business marketing and literally everything in between. And that's really where we stand this year as well, where we're going to have a wide variety of topics covered. And so, yes, there will be a lot talked about within the realm of sleep and recovery, especially for myself, but you're definitely going to get a lot of other topics uh, covered there as well. You will not be talking about sleep and recovery. You're going to have a great presentation and perspective to offer. So yeah, it's one of those things that's really taken on a, taken on a life of, of its own. Um, and with some of the other speaking engagements you mentioned that I'll be doing later this year, a big emphasis for me in my next really big project and big transition is essentially centered around empowering coaches to think of themselves as more. And I think a lot of this came from, as I mentioned, the ability to work in a collaborative environment with other practitioners under the same roof and really seeing that as coaches came in, that was not a role that a lot of coaches were necessarily comfortable with. And obviously we as coaches, as fit pros have way more contacts with individuals than any other provider. And it's not even close, right? Infinitely more. And I think with that comes a tremendous opportunity and also comes a tremendous role and responsibility. And so essentially my focus and next big project will be empowering coaches to embrace that role and embrace the responsibility of maybe envisioning themselves and positioning themselves as healthcare practitioners, how they are more well-rounded in their approach, how professional they are, how they collaborate with other providers, how they're involved and advocate in their community. Because with healthcare practitioner, that terminology, there's this stigma attached that it's just somebody in a, you know, in a medical code, it's just a licensed medical provider, but really a healthcare practitioner should be anybody who is in any capacity responsible for another individual's health and well-being. And we may have more of that responsibility than anyone else on the, the, the front lines, the boots and grounds, right? So that is where a lot of my speaking engagements will be centered around and, you know, future courses and future content. John Baroni talks about this stuff, being a concierge to you know, the client in front of us versus just that narrow role as being just the trainer and then saying everything else is, quote, out of my scope of practice. There's respecting scope of practice, but there's being a facilitator to the right people who can actually help within their scope of practice. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, everything from a scope of practice comes down to really just defining your role, what your skill set is, leveraging that skill set, you know, defining where your lines in the sand are and building a really robust network that you can be, you can be confident in, right? So, you know, scope of practice is obviously something you really want to strongly consider and not necessarily step over, but it's also a cop-out in a lot of ways where if I even look at my sleep coaching course, right? I reached out to a lot of individuals that I respect in the industry, the sleep industry specifically, 
that have been doing a great job educating around sleep for a while, and I won't name names specifically, they've done a tremendous job educating, but haven't really taken it to that next level of providing a practical resource of, hey, if you're going to be a sleep coach or a sleep and recovery coach, this is how you go about it. This is how you assess and screen. This is how you practically coach. This is how you collaborate. And when I reached out to a lot of these individuals to collaborate on creating a course, 99% of them had no interest in collaborating because of scope of practice. It wasn't something that they wanted to broach. They didn't want to create a course that, you know, there could be gray area on. And, you know, I looked at it as a challenge and an opportunity where if I built a board of advisors for the course and I was crystal clear on where the lines in the sand are and what your do's and don'ts are, that it's perfectly acceptable. And especially within something like sleep where behavior is often at the root cause of what individuals are struggling, that's absolutely in our, in our scope to be able to, to work with in some capacity. So, well, I, we got a bit more time and I'm trying to think, I, I know what I was going to ask because there was something that was in the back of my mind. A lot of this stuff also ties into the developing of our network and it, it bleeds into speaking at other events, you know, being able to find, you know, the people to speak at yours. Um, how important has been to your career developing your network within the industry? It's been huge. I mean, it's, it's honestly been, been everything. And it comes back to one of those points I made earlier where one thing I've always been fortunate or, you know, whether it's, it's fortunate or I've just maybe kind of pushed myself out of the comfort zone is being willing to reach out. So, you know, when you look at the Raise the Bar conference, a lot of those relationships of people that were there are because either Derek or myself reached out to make an initial contact. And we actually made the contacts to invite these individuals to the event, right? We could have looked and said, hey, John Berardi is basically retired from speaking and basically rode off into the sunset. He's not going to speak at our event. But we put together a well thought out invitation with all the details, with everything included. And we reached out to him and we had a conversation with him. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, if I look at so much of <clears throat> the success that I've had, it's just being willing to build that network, just being willing to put those contacts out. And the events have been a really, really great opportunity for that because if you're trying to build a event of 50 plus speakers, you're going to essentially reach out to over 100 individuals. So it forces you to really get into the weeds of what people are doing in the industry and what areas, you know, people who are doing really great work. And one of the things Derek and I are working on that's going to come out here in a few months is an industry highlight. So highlighting individuals in the industry that are doing really, really great and tremendous things that maybe you don't know as much about. They don't carry the same name necessarily. And so, you know, when you're building out events, you're forced to really expand and diversify your, your network. And even if, for example, I, I reached out to, to you, I, I invited you to last year's recovery summit. And even though you didn't speak as part of that event, that was still the initial impetus and contact for us to build a relationship now where, you know, we're speaking at similar events together, I'm hopping on the podcast. And so even in that instance where it didn't work out at that time, because I made that initial contact, you still build relationships with people in the future. And so if there's somebody that you respect what they're doing, whether it's because you're hosting an event or you have a podcast or you have a project that you're working on, just shoot them a message, make sure it's well thought out and it's personalized, but be willing to shoot them a message. And, you know, there's so many great individuals in this space that are super receptive to communicating and to collaborating. And, and, and so that's really the name of the game. 
And you hit on something I love. And we talked about this. You asked me for some names of individuals who would be great presenters for recovery and sleep. And um, I'm trying to remember, like, I gave you a bunch of names and some inter interactions. So I'm trying to remember who's in the lineup because it's such a big lineup. I don't have one list. I know Logan, Logan Dubay for sure is in there, who's someone I really believe in. I think Logan's wonderful. Logan's been on my podcast in the past. A great educator. Um, Try to remember Robert Lincoln, Melody Schoenfeld. Yeah. Or, yeah, like you said, there's so many that I'm trying to remember. Uh, there was definitely at least a handful of, of people that are going to be a part of the event just based on your recommendation. But similarly, even though there was a few, you know, Mike Rizzatal and a few that I invited that it didn't work out, you know, where there's just some, some commonality now for future conversations. So again, even if it doesn't necessarily work out at that particular time, there's still so much value in, hey, we have a common friend or a common person with some synergy in the industry, you know, let's see how we can ultimately help each other out. So, yeah, because I, 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 I'm pretty sure, yeah, Mike would just wasn't able to work out. Don Saladino scheduling just wasn't able to do it. I know Sohi is really restricting the stuff that she's doing, but it's still, it, it strengthened those connections. And I, I know you had some of those connections already, uh, but I'm really happy to see people like Logan and Robert and Melody who are they're actually really well-liked and well-respected. They just don't have the big social media followings, right? Robert Linkle and Melody Schoenfeld have both won the NSCA Personal Trainer of the Year Award. So is my pal, Chad yeah. Landers. He's another one, right? Like they don't have big social media followings. I've seen them all present at multiple events. They're all awesome humans. And I want more people to know who they are. So I love this kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think that's why we wanted to do the industry highlight too. And I think that's if you become an event host and you're hosting more events and these events have a big platform, I think that's one of the responsibilities, right? Because I can continue to just bring back the same big names for events and, you know, we can continue to, you know, bring the John Berardis of the world to, to events, but they're already on these massive platforms. John Berardi does, obviously doesn't need us to invite him to an event and give him a platform, right? So there is a level, I think, for us, that's a responsibility if we're going to host these events to find people in the industry that are really, like you said, doing tremendous work and are very well respected, well sought out, um, and just kind of help them to, to scale to that next level. So, And that's how I use this podcast as well, right? There's a very reason why you're here, why I'm going to bring Derek back, and why I've had many of the guests. You look at my guest list over the years, the old format and the new. John Berardi's been on here. Mike Isertel's done it a few times. Jordan Syed, John Goodman, et cetera, et cetera. But there's also a lot of people who are people I've encountered in my travels that I really respect, I think are doing going in the right direction. I took the time to get to know more about them. Uh, everyone, I, I get people in my DMs going, hey, could I come on your podcast? I'm like, ah, shit, right? Like I really try to, I've made a mistake a long time ago bringing someone on quickly who was, it turned into an awful human being and really harassed a lot of people across the industry, including myself. And as someone who I just, and I won't say names, but it was just, okay, that was a bad experience. And that made me go, all right, I really do need to know a lot about and vet the people who I'm bringing on here. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's where, again, coming back to that <clears throat> willingness to put yourself out there and be so present at events and network at these events, you, you have that experience and ability to connect with people, vet them a little bit, get to learn again, more about what people are doing in the industry. And that's something that is, is a really tremendous opportunity, whether in your case, it's a podcast. In my case, it's hosting events where, you know, like I said, you just, you're, it forces you out of your maybe comfort zone or maybe you're just day to day of who you interact with and forces you to get into different 
you know, areas of the industry where let me see where people are, what people are doing in this space. And let me see who's talking about some of these things. And let me see, you know, what, what speakers are really, or industry leaders are contributing to these, these areas. And so that's one of the things I love most about having any kind of platform and, and hosting these events is just how much more you're able to, to expand the people you're exposed to, which ultimately just makes you a better human and a better coach as well. So anything that you've learned along the way that you've really shifted on stuff that you kind of wish you did differently earlier or big things that you take forward going, all right, this is a really important thing for me to do into the, into the future. In, in terms of the event space or? Yeah, the event, I guess the event space, because we've really been talking heavily about that. <clears throat> yeah, I think, you know, initially I was more focused with events on, on topics where now I've become more focused on people, right? We're, we're ultimately, I think that's a mistake a lot of us make. We get focused on topics that we want to learn or we get focused on topics that we want to seek out, but we're ultimately in the people business. And this all comes down to people, whether it's your, your clients or other coaches, or, you know, you want to get yourself in the education space, it all comes down to understanding people. And so, you know, I've learned to, when I'm building these events, really just to connect with good people. Right. And I, again, I feel like I'm dropping a lot of cliches on here, but those are the things that you just can't, you can't necessarily teach somebody and you can't, the more that you're in this industry and the more you're forced to work with so many people, the more you just want to gravitate towards good people and work with and collaborate with good people. And so, you know, you share that example of somebody coming on your podcast who is toxic. Um, and I think maybe if I look a year or two ago or, or longer than that, just based on maybe name or topic, I'd be more willing to work with somebody who was a bit more toxic where now it's just, I'm not going to work with those individuals and we're just going to surround ourselves with people who, you know, we know are good human beings. And we, I, I noticed with your event, there were a number of presenters who immersed themselves in the experience. They spent the time with the attendees. They hung around for, you know, the entire event or most of it. <clears throat> they made the effort. Even, even my friend Lee Boyce, who just due to coming in from Canada, he had to come in and out, but Lee was, very present, very immersed in it. I mean, he's more introverted. So I pretty, he just pretty much just grabs onto me and I introduce him to people, but really, really sweet, wonderful guy. And he's like, bad. He wished he had more time. He's like, next time I'm going to be here the entire time. And I took notice of the people who went above and beyond, really wanted to be present to make, to contribute more than just their hour on the stage to the people who'd spent a lot of money, flew in, you know, the hotels weren't the super cheapest things in the world, right? And I mean, I made an entire week of it. Me and my girlfriend went down and we went to Universal Studios and a couple of Tool concerts. So, man, that was a great week. It was a fucking expensive week, but it was super worth it. So if yeah. someone gets up on the stage, and this is for some, any of you listening who are thinking about ever speaking, you know, if you get, if you're lucky enough to get invited to one of these events, go for the whole weekend, go to the socials, meet people these people actually are genuinely interested in you and you will leave a lasting impression. And I remember impressions of people who made me feel like invisible at events. And I remember people who took the time to sit down and interact. And funny enough, there are sometimes speakers who are actually quite introverted or quiet. 2017, first event I went to, I met Pete Dupuy. I'd heard him on podcasts, really liked Pete's stuff. I was excited to meet him. And Pete was the only non quote trainer because he's the business owner sales guy for Cressy Sports Performance. And I sat down with him and I mean, Pete's a content sort of guy and he's got his connections across the industry, but I couldn't help but feel like he felt like a little bit of an outsider in that community. 
So I actually made a point of like just hanging out with him. And I've done that with a few people at these events. And you'd be surprised. These are not superhuman, like, you know, heads in the clouds, like arrogant people who just think they're better than everybody else. They're people who've been on the same road that the rest of us have. They've had a lot of good fortune. They've worked very hard to get there. And they're pretty down to earth. A guy like Don Saladino, who trains, you know, Marvel superhero actors, started with Hugh Jackman, very good friends at Ryan Reynolds, gets to go to movie premieres with him, has done amazing things in the industry. And Don is still one of the nicest, most down to earth people you'll find. So treat them like like people. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you go back to raise the bar, like you said that, you know, there was a lot of speakers who were really fortunate who engage with attendees and, and spent a lot of extra time. But if you really look, if we go back to common threads of successful people in the industry, if you look at the people who were the most engaging and spent the most time with attendees, they were also among the most successful, right? Somebody like Molly, for example, this is something we've talked a lot about following the event. I think Molly's superpower is not even necessarily the content that she delivers, albeit great. What makes Molly special is Molly has this ability to make you feel like you're the only person in the room when she's talking to you. And that becomes just so crystal clear when you see how she interacts with attendees and even how she interacted with Derek and myself, right? And so, you know, developing that type of mentality is just so invaluable, right? We can we can come on and we can talk programming X's and O's until we're blue in the face and, you know, we can talk sleep recovery. We can talk all these things, but if you truly embrace that mentality of being willing to put yourself out there and build actual connections over deliver for people, look them in the eye, man, there's just no, there's just no substitute for that in any capacity. Yeah. Molly was very much present the entire time. And, and a lot of the speakers, I mean, like I could go through the entire list, but you know, Luca, you know, Luca's a busy dude. Luca came down for the whole weekend, hung out the whole time, delivered a killer talk. You know, we, we got to set, sit down at the end. So like a lot of people were already flying out on Sunday, Sunday evening, you, me, Derek, uh, you know, uh, all the all the, the wives, girlfriends are all hanging out. Luca comes down, sits down with us. We have dinner and a drink and we just pow out over the entire weekend and, and what worked about it. And that was actually one of the best parts. I agree. That was one of my uh, <clears throat> favorite parts of the weekend as well. And, you know, the thing with Luca, too, I, you know, anytime people are around Luca because he has so much to share and so much value, people just fire questions at him and he just. He just sits there and just answers every question and in detail, right? Just offers so much value in every setting that, uh, that, that he is. And so that was a lot of that night was just us picking Lucas brain and, and him just, we know once he gets going, right. That's, that's it. <laughs> Go back and listen to some of the episodes. Uh, anybody who's listening here with Luca on them, there are episodes where it's, it's a back and forth like this one, right? I'll do like 35, 40% of the talking. Luca, I'm lucky if I get 10, 15% because he's just so much. Like he's so charismatic. He's just got so much cool stuff. I'll just sit back and just let him go, wind him up. Let's That's the reason speaker of the weekend, right? We didn't want to have to, we knew we wouldn't be able to cut him off. So he was the last speaker. He was the closing act. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's let everybody know where they can find your social media, uh, more notes about the Recovery and Sleep Summit, uh, anything else you want to share? Yeah, absolutely. So on, on social media, still the, the main brand and, and place to find me is at the online sleep coach. Uh, information on my sleep coaching course, if sleep and recovery is something you want to integrate into your process a bit more, sleepcoachcourse.com. Uh, if you're interested in joining the recoveries and sleep summit this year, again, free event. If you want to tune in over the course of those four days, uh, the website is 2022recoverysummit.com. Sure. And if, again, yeah, I'll splash on my media. If you're someone who follows me, send me a direct message. I will send you the link for it. Like personally, please 
I'd be happy to have you. Um, and again, I'm going to do a topic on, it's really going to be about building an engaged social media following an audience. And that doesn't necessarily only mean just, hey, let's, let's create a sheer number of followers, but just to create a great experience, uh, something that's fulfilling and some pitfalls, <laughs> stuff to be careful about. And, and how to do a really great job of it. So I'm excited. I, I got to build it out, a few more details out of it, but it'll be ready. Uh, Nick, thank you. I really appreciate having you on. If by chance you're someone who's finding my podcast for the first time through Nick's media, go back and listen to Nick and Derek's episode. It's not too long ago where we talked about Raise the Bar. And I have had a lot of great guests on, again, like Luca, Molly Galbraith. It was actually two episodes ago. Go check that one out. Nick, thank you, my friend. It's always great to chat. Always a pleasure, man. Thank you again for having me back.